Welcome back to the Advancing Man Project podcast show. My name is Dave Whitley, and I am extremely delighted today. I'm talking to my friend, my brother from a frozen mother. That's right. Uh, Jesse Coomer. Jesse and I go way back, um, almost 10 years now. Um, met in met in 2016 in yes. California at a Wim Hof Method weekend retreat. Subsequently that year, we went through the first Wim Hof Method instructor training in the United States up in Colorado. I have climbed mountains with this man. We, nearly have, naked. we have climbed mountains, chest bare, uh-huh. you know, in the cold. Yeah. And um, Jesse, when I met you, you were a... Uh, uh, full-time English professor yep, and right. um, teaching at the college level. We've done multiple workshops together, teaching breath work, cold yep. exposure, all of that sort of stuff. Recently, in the past couple of years, Jesse has um, stepped out of the college English educator scene and stepped full-time into the breath work educator scene and is doing some phenomenal stuff. More, Most recently, he's been doing some stuff that um, you've been doing some stuff that's really caught my attention about the breath as a language specifically as a language oh look at that it's like hey, there's a book written called the language of breath a book that was published about it yeah language yeah. of breath <laughs> um uh, and and i'll be honest i have not read that entire book but i have consumed the language of breath online course and it's phenomenal yeah. it's very practical hands-on week to week do this next week you'll do the thing remember that thing you did last week this builds off that it's very methodical um put together very well from someone who I, and I think this is a strength of yours that um, if we look at somebody like Wim, he was he did what he did and then tried to systemize it into an educational process. You understood the educational process, right? Before you had this current information, and so you know how to how to um, create family sized portions and bite sized chunks that people can consume and then make use of rather than it be just you know a, a stream of conscious thing. So lots of fun stuff to talk about. Jesse's a musician. Um, yes. hobbyist, much like myself, um, breath work, cold work, um, he's dad. And so we've yes. got a lot of stuff we can talk about on here. And, um, yeah, Jesse, thanks a bunch for, for doing this. I'm really always excited to talk to Dave Whitley. So you, you just, you just invite me anytime I'm here. Um, well, jumping into this, yeah. some of the, some of this, this is really where I wanted to, to start out with you. And this could wind up taking up the whole deal here too. Um, you and I have, have talked privately about all of the stuff that we're into, uh, parenting, music, breathwork, meditation, cold stuff. Um, yeah. I want to have a conversation with you that's that's familiar but fresh. And recently, in various forms of social media and, and in culture in general, there's been a lot of, of uncertainty of what words mean and uncertainty of what of what defines people and a right. lot and that uncertainty comes from not understanding so i want to what i want to open this conversation with is a subject that if it's approached the wrong way can be very taboo but if it's approached the right way the way that we're going to do it i think that it's vital and important and it's being overlooked and that is the subject of masculinity sure yeah you and i together have done some things that are at the same time ex to to the to the outside to the onlooker might be looked upon as extreme hardcore sure and also foofy woo woo bullshit yeah yeah <laughs> all in the same action right 
And so that's life. Yeah. (laughs) So, so embracing that dichotomy is where I want to go with this. Let's, let's talk about masculinity and we both have sons. You have two kids. You you have a son and a daughter, right? I just have a son. Yeah. So I was, I was fostering. uh, So my wife and I, we did foster care and we, we fostered two little girls for about a year and they had to go back. But then I, and actually for, for about a week, we had three kids. Okay. Uh, but so, so then my, my, my son came along, uh, and, uh, we fostered him and adopted him. Okay. So we have, we have, he's eight years old. His name is Malachi and he's a trip. He's got, he loves, uh, he loves, he's loves dad jokes almost as much as I do. So danger, danger. Yeah. I, I apologize for <laughs> misunderstanding. I, I got the fostering and the adoption thing mixed oh, up. Oh yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. It's, so, it's confusing. So. Anyway, to that point, we both have sons under 10 mm-hmm. and we both realize that, um, if we want our sons to grow into manhood and be healthy, productive, well-adjusted adults who are doing good things in the world, um, that starts with us. We got to be that guy first and model that because they're going to do what we model. And, and as everyone who actually has children knows, even if they won't admit it, do as I say, not as I do, does not, has not, and never will work. Doesn't work. Doesn't so there has to be other strategies involved with that. And exactly. if we're going to expect a boy to grow into a man, we have to exhibit masculinity and very often that word gets thrown out and we think of someone who is old school, hard jawed, strong, silent type. And as a dad, he's the absent provider. I go to work. Like I think about, um, the, the Denzel Washington character in, um, fences, the, the, which was a play that was ad- adapted into a movie. And it, uh, I never all that it. doesn't matter. He's, he's grown. He's having a conversation with, uh, his son who is like a teen kind of in his coming of age. And the son asked him legitimately, why don't you like me? Or why did you never like me? And he was just stunned by this question. This character was, and he says, like you, I ain't got to like you. I've never had to like you. My job is to provide for you and put a, I'm paraphrasing all this, obviously. Yeah, sure, sure. Like, like he points out this, this martyrdom of masculinity or this martyrdom of manhood about how I sacrificed my life for you. And you're ingrateful because you, you come to me and ask me why I don't like you. And I'm like, Okay, that's where we get the ideas of like toxic masculinity. And I've been back and forth myself on it is toxic masculinity actually a thing or are people just being dickheads. See, yeah, that's where I've so anytime you hear about someone who's being masculine, right, in a toxic way, mm-hmm. you're like, okay, so what they do, right? Right. And if a woman would have done that, I would have said, well, that's also an asshole. I mean, that person is being toxic and, and saying, terror. you know, I don't care if it's a man or a woman doing it. These things that are considered to be toxic masculinity generally mm-hmm. are just being, just being an awful person. Mm-hmm. And, and sadly enough, we oftentimes will attribute things to, uh, you know, your masculinity or your, your femininity. That's just like, we don't. So, so we naturally always want to try to explain something we feel like we need an explanation for it. And it's like, well, I'll tell you what it was, you know? And it's like, oh my God, how I, 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 you can tell me why it happened, but, but really the important thing is like what actually happened. Right. right. So if the person is doing something that's inappropriate or something that's, that's illegal or is just awful, let's just, let's just focus on that. Let's not like 
bring, okay, you know what? You're also uh, toxic beard ulinity, you know, or toxic high heels ulinity. It's like, okay. Uh, it's the thing, right? I, I feel like if you focus on the actual behavior, as opposed to saying, oh, you know why you did it? It's because you're a man. Um, you might actually make a little progress. You might actually get people to to, to behave better as opposed right. to now I've got to defend not only this action, which hopefully a person could say, okay, yeah, that was wrong. But now I've got to defend my identity, right? Mm -hmm. Who I am as a man. And so, and then, now, then, then you get everybody, their feathers get ruffled because now it's, it's like, well, not all men and not all women. And it's like, oh God. Right. It's like a Facebook argument. Yeah. It's it's what I lovingly refer to as playing chess with a pigeon. Yes. Right. Yes. I love that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and and it's very masturbatory in the sense that that it feels good in the moment, but it yes. when you're finished, you're like, I didn't get anything done. Yeah. I accomplished yeah. nothing in this argument. Well, and human beings, this is the thing about human beings. Like we we often don't realize that we are territorial creatures, right? So just like any other like uh, creature in nature, like just like my dog over here, who is a fantastic animal, right? Uh, we're territorial. And that is that is something was like, well, wait a minute. I, I feel like I'm, you know, that territorial. Well, we also call this the ego, right? So there's, so th this is the thing where we're territorial when it comes to our identity, to our, well, I don't feel like you respected me. And and so every aspect of our ego, which is not necessarily a bad thing, you know, a lot of times people oversimplify the ego as it's like, this is the bad, you want to, you don't want that ego, get that out of it. No, it's not necessarily a bad thing, but it's the thing where it's like, we can unconsciously say, say and do terrible things. And it's because un, the unconscious version of ourselves, you know, our unconscious processes are trying to protect our territory, right? And that's, th those are arguments that tend to lead to bad outcomes. Right. And, <laughs> and, and, and they tend to have no real foundation in, in rational thought because it's all preceding, you know, our, our conscious rational thinking mm -hmm. and it's just all, you know, emotional, uh, and, and, um, and and reactionary as opposed to anything productive at all definitely definitely the the place that i am right now in this evolving idea of it yeah. I, and and i reserve the right to to come back you know five years from now or next week and look at this and say nope i missed the mark on that one what are you about to say i want to highlight that just for a second mm -hmm. because that's something we should all be willing to do that's a sign of strength and so to be to be able to say this is where I am now. And I, I'll let you, I want you to say what you're going to say, but it's important for us all to say, you know, so often when we make a comment, we, we feel like we're locked in it forever. Right. We're doing, we're doing our best. We're just trying to figure this stuff out. So anyway, I'm sorry. I just, yeah, I, I, I really respect anybody who's willing to say, Hey, this is where I am now. It might be somewhere else later. Right. Yeah. And, and, and I appreciate you saying that. And this is where I am now for sure. Yeah. Um, and you know, five years or two days from now, I may be in a completely different place. And that could be diametrically opposed, or it could be seven miles deeper into what I've already, <laughs> what I'm stating now. And, and I'll, you know, that's just, Who knows? and, and, and really, I think that the only reason that something like that wouldn't happen is if I stop paying attention to a subject. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We right. Get complacent. And, we don't and, and, about it anymore. and that's fine too. Like, um, sure. 
I am not a better guitar player now than I was 10 or 20 years ago. I but I haven't practiced that much yeah. either, like I did, you know, 30 years ago. <laughs> yeah. I um, plateaued about, yeah, 20, yeah, you know, 25 years ago. <laughs> yeah. Um, but where I am right now is the idea that masculinity, femininity, mm-hmm. and and something you said earlier about the ego, oh, the ego is bad. Like, like I actually jotted this note down to to ponder if the ego fits into this cat or or the the idea of ego fits into this category as well. Um, and I'm not saying it does or doesn't. I'm saying I need to think on that one. Is sure. toxic or non-toxic? It's energy, right? And and is electricity toxic? Well, it depends on whether you're using it to to cook your food or whether you are being struck by lightning, right? Mm-hmm. It's all circumstantial. So, like if if I use electricity, and that's not even the best way to say it. Like, am am I using it to cook my food or am I using it? to um to fire up an electric chair on a, on an innocent person right sure sure yeah right yeah, yeah. and so it's just energy just like money is energy i can use money to do good things or i can use money to, to screw people over sure. right yeah. so so is toxic masculinity a thing i think a more precise way to 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 address that is can masculinity be used in a toxic way and I believe the answer to that is yes. And I believe the same is true of femininity as well, or, or, or feminine energy, right? So um, there's a lot of conversation floating around about masculinity, toxic masculinity, whatever. It's like, let's define masculinity, right? It's an energy. Yeah. It's an energy. And and if if I define it as as one thing, you define it as something else, and we argue over it, we're it's the proverbial apples and oranges, right? Um mm-hmm. When really what we're, if we're going to argue over apples and oranges, what we really need to argue over is fiber and glucose. What do they have in common? <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, so arguing over the differences never yields as good a result in my experience as acknowledging the similarities. So the similarities, if masculinity is an energy and it's a, it's a, a going forward, um, penetrative, problem solving, assertive type of energy right now what's the difference between assertive and aggressive yeah yeah so 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 assertive would be positive masculinity and aggressive causing harm to someone would be a negative aspect of that i want to hear what your thoughts are on that because like i said this is a fresh conversation we've not talked about this subject before and and i'm i'm already i'm just loving it i'm absolutely loving it so I think so often the conversation goes to capabilities, which is unproductive, right? Well, a man can do this, but a woman can do that. And this is what a man thinks about. And this is what a woman thinks. I, I mean, I do think about the Roman Empire. Ever since I found out about it, I've been th- thinking about that damn Roman Empire for so long. <laughs> it's awesome. No, but one of the things I have observed, and hey, we're just we're just throwing stuff out here. But one of the things I think I've observed, rather than talking about capabilities or what they're more like a person's more you know likely to enjoy you know men like sports and cars and women like this and that uh i i often look at i like like your analogy to energy i look at sometimes patterns of behavior and one of the things i've noticed is is kind of like so generally masculinity seems to be a very direct point a to point b type of a of a pattern so it's like 
this thing needs to get done. I'm going directly that direction. And it's, it's, it's extreme focus in on one aspect, right? So we're, mm -hmm. we're focused in, this is the thing. And whereas feminine energy, uh, a feminine pattern would typically be, uh, you know, May, not a straight line it would maybe be a curvy line and mm -hmm. okay i'm gonna think about it i'm gonna go this way and then this, i'm going over here and i'm going over here and then i'm going to go over here and then eventually you know we're going to make our way over to this thing and uh, and so i think and i think this is why i think this is why it's so helpful uh you know we both have been married now for a while mm -hmm. and i think this is where i see so much value in my wife's perspective and because there's a lot of things that because i'm so focused on okay this is the goal i'm going directly toward that goal and and i'm putting all my energy in this singular direction i find a lot of value in her uh it almost seems like um, instead of singular direction it's like okay i'm going this way and i'm going that way i'm kind of there's like it's instead of a straight line it's a curvy line and then of course obviously because these patterns uh, are not the same. We get frustrated with each other and, you know, you know, I, and, and we always, you know, there's, there's a lot of conflict and I think that's another part of, of marriage and, and, and relationships, um, masculine and feminine as well. But, um, but both are really helpful and important. Now there are times whenever I'm going to want a person who's going to get, you know, straight to it. There's a time whenever I think maybe it's more important to have a pattern that might be more meandering. It's interesting uh, in investments, uh, time and time again, uh, portfolio investor, you know, people who manage portfolios um, tend to, the, the, the people who tend to do the best are female. And what is typically for the longest time, it was a, a male dominated um, profession. And they've they've shown that it's generally that you'll see uh that um you know men will take greater risks and and is that is that a big surprise well okay maybe not it's not a big right. surprise but I, a lot of times i see these different patterns and and then of course that's when the conversation someone will say well it's not always this way it's not always that way of course you know there's there's no uh, there's always exceptions to the rule, but that's in my lifetime, that's generally the biggest thing. And then you can extrapolate from there mm -hmm. as far as, you know, so, so this is why, you know, if you have an, in, a person with a pattern who is direct and straightforward, you're going to go over to his house and it might be really bare bones. There's a couch, there's a TV and there's a refrigerator. And, and that's, that's how men live and it's disgusting or whatever, you know, and then you <laughs> might go. I feel like from those patterns, you get everything else that we associate with um, the sexes. And obviously, you know, it's, there's, there's variation within that, mm -hmm. but, the, but typically that's what I've seen. And, and that's, and again, I'll, I'll, I'll go so far as to say that, you know, who knows, maybe, maybe I'm totally wrong, but that's so right. far how I've seen it. I, everything you said is making sense. And I, I agree with you on that. So obviously you're brilliant. I agree with everything you said. Um, it's genius, right? <laughs> it is. It is. Um, but as I'm, as I'm thinking in dad mode and I'm looking at my son as he's growing up and this is, this is kind of where this is gonna, like, like I'm laying out some pieces right here and I'm yeah, yeah. these pieces fit together in this conversation. Um, the, 
the old school stern children should be seen and not heard. I'm the daddy and I said so approach that that has been prevalent for so long um, is in my experience and, and my observation, thankfully, um, if not, it, it's not dead, but it's, it's definitely wounded and it's dragging its feet. And there's a whole lot of stuff in there that, um, could be a toxic expression of masculinity as a dad. And I believe that like almost every problem you can come up with, it's rooted in ignorance somewhere. This is how we've always done it. And then one day someone yeah. will say, just because we've always done it, does that mean it's the best way to do it? Right, right. And then things evolve from there. But one of the things that that I have recently come to to experience with my son who just turned five, and as he is figuring out how to navigate his own emotional landscape. Mm, yeah. Um, and I grew up in the, my parents weren't this way necessarily, but I grew up in the era of, of children be seen and not heard. Mm-hmm. you know and and what i see now with with that approach is that what winds up happening is when the child is doing what the parent wants them to do and i hesitate to use the 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 phrase even though this is what that parent would do when the child is being good okay, which means yeah, you're doing what i want sure. you to do and you're not disrupting my life or making you know making my life inconvenient then they get little or no attention little praise sure. from the parent but then they do something where they're quote being bad. Now the parent steps in and does whatever corrective thing they're going to do. What that actually reinforces developmentally in my understanding of it is that, Oh, mom and dad will pay attention to me when I start fucking up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm, and it's not a deliberate thing, but it's like when I act this way or when I'm in this energetic state really is what I believe. Then I get the attention that, that I'm craving. And if I'm not getting it, then all I got to do is to do this thing, right? So taking that idea and making sure that that when my son is doing something that I'm, you know, recognizing what he's doing, finding the good in what he does, even if it's not something that would necessarily be uh, desirable, that's part of helping him figure it out because that whole sit down and be quiet thing is a suppression of emotion, suppression of energy, ultimately a suppression of like, you know, self-worth and um so helping him get through that is forcing me to look at my own perception and in my own way of of handling my emotions right and i can't i can't model or teach him how to regulate an emotion that i'm not willing to experience myself and if it's and and so there's that there's that thing of like Oh, this kid is acting this way. I'm going to shut this down. Yeah. There's a lot of, of evidence that supports I'm shutting that down because I'm uncomfortable with this and I don't know how to deal with it because I wasn't allowed to express it. And so I'm, oh. I'm in my own path going back and, and checking all that out myself. And what that leads me to is this one word that I want to throw out that to the average person, they would think it's the opposite or in the opposite category of masculinity. And that is vulnerability. But right. in, in my awareness right now today, like we talked about earlier, and this could change, but I don't think yeah. it will. One of the most masculine and powerful things that a man can do is be vulnerable. Because if I'm confident, I can, I can be vulnerable and not be harmed. Right. It can, it'll be uncomfortable, but I know that I'll still walk away 
okay with it and being vulnerable with myself and ex expressing and modeling vulnerability for my son in front of my son with my son telling him I understand how you're feeling right now. I felt that way before. When this happens to me, I do the same kind of thing and I feel the same kind of thing. So that's a yeah. very long drawn out way for me to circle back around and talk to you about the, or have you talked to me rather about the interrelationship between masculinity and vulnerability and, and, and your thoughts on that. Yeah. I, <laughs> I love what you said there. And now when it comes to vulnerability, we have to understand the, you know, the concept of being vulnerable Mm -hmm. is that you are you're capable of receiving harm you're in a you're in a position where <clears> you're not guarded and you you may or may not be safe and so in in our space i think we we talk about you know when it comes to health and wellness when it comes to coaching we talk about the uh the value of being vulnerable but i think it's important to understand that there are that that vulnerability if you aren't actually safe, okay? So if, you, if you're vulnerable uh, and you're not safe, that leads to trauma, right? Mm -hmm. So, so uh, you know, the, the classic, you know, whenever you're a child and, you know, there's, there's an abuser, you are vulnerable. You are not strong enough to stand up for yourself and you're vulnerable without safety. And that you, and the sad thing is, um, it may lead to, trauma in your own self right it may lead to i mean if you're vulnerable you may you may get killed maimed mm -hmm. you you're not good to anyone because well i'm sorry you were vulnerable you're not strong enough to help save your friends or, or stand up to people right so there's a certain degree of vulnerability that um you know we look at and we say okay we don't want to be absolutely vulnerable to in every degree and, and the only reason i'm unpacking that mm -hmm. is because i think sometimes in our space, we we extol vulnerability, and we don't really we we need to unpack it a little bit. So so complete vulnerability is something that as a man we want to we don't want to have to be completely vulnerable. There, there there's a reason why uh, there's a reason why when it comes to some of the more I guess you might consider it traditional concepts of, of masculinity. There's the protector. There's the person who um, for instance, when shit hits the fan, I don't want a bunch of vulnerable emergency services. You know, I, I, I'm at that point, I'm vulnerable. I need, I need someone to be strong and guarded and protect, protected um, so that I can be safe and vulnerable at the same time. And that's the real, I think the secret sauce is mm -hmm. when you can be vulnerable and safe. And, and I think that's what you're getting at. And, mm -hmm. and and it's it's this combination mm -hmm. of being strong enough to be vulnerable that is at the essence of masculinity in my view because you've done the work to 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 strengthen yourself and what do you have to do to get stronger you have to face your weaknesses mm -hmm. right you whether you're dealing with physical strength or psychological strength you've done the work to become strong enough that now I can let my guard down because I'm strong enough to do that. And I'm confident enough in my own, in myself, maybe in the environment that I find myself in. This is why retreats and workshops and things are so valuable. But I'm, I'm able to say, I'm scared, right? And so we, I have a son, we both have sons. And, uh, 
and this is, I think, is insanely important to for for our sons and and for all for all fathers really to say, you know, there's some things I just don't know, mm-hmm. and there's some things I'm worried about, and I'm scared about this thing. Now they need to know that they're not vulnerable to the point where they don't have a protector, though. So you need to say we're going to get through this, right? And this is the, I think, the the essence of confidence in that you're not necessarily confident in the skill, you're or 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 like I'm the strongest person in the world, or I can, you know, um, I I I can do the thing, but I am confident that we're going to figure it out. And I think this is something that if you've lived long enough and you've tried hard enough, that you've been through a few things, right? You've been through a few things and you can say, well, I figured it out then. I made it through. I'm still alive and I can figure this out as well. So you have that confidence and that combination of safety and vulnerability is whenever you can actually have healing. You can have um, growth and you can show uh, your young son or daughter, you can you can show your children that. Listen, first of all, I, I and this is something that I you know I think everybody just assumes that whenever they become a grown up, suddenly every, you know they're Superman. You know when you're a kid, you just you know what I'm saying. And then you, I don't know when that's ever going to happen. You right. know, I'm there's all of the questions are just more cosmic and impossible to completely answer, and so. Um, so building that ability early and saying and, and saying, listen, I don't know the answer to these questions. No one really knows these answers. Uh, but here's the thing. We can be honest. <laughs> and that's really what this kind of vulnerability is, mm-hmm. right? It's, it's just the ability to be honest, <clears throat> which takes a lot of strength. Um, and you don't you don't want to conflate. I think it's important that we we show our sons that we have to build strength in order to be able to be vulnerable and, and have that safety as well. So I, it's it's a it's it's an incredibly masculine thing to do. I you know it, it and and I'm just going on and on a little bit. But one of the things though that I think sadly enough, you know, there's the pendulum always swings, mm-hmm. and and then you'll find that you have on the other side, a person who is praised for being vulnerable. Sometimes we, we just praise men for being vulnerable without this caveat of, listen, right. you need to have the strength to be vulnerable. You need to be doing the work. It's not just, Hey, cry a lot. And then we're going to applause. And I think a lot of times, especially, I don't know, in, in my lifetime, this kind of messed me up when I was a kid, to be honest. Um, but, but like, there's this whole thing where, you're supposed to be incredibly emotionally fragile and that's what vulnerability is or you're supposed to cry all the time because we're supposed to you know it's okay to cry but again it's the same thing it's okay to, it's good to be vulnerable but you have to have an understanding of what the 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 best way to to make that happen for positive results cuz simply becoming vulnerable you know i mean you know, you, you go uh, down to some kind of a, I don't know, a very dangerous neighborhood or mm-hmm. something like that. Uh, take off all your clothes and, tr- and go to sleep. You're incredibly vulnerable, <laughs> right? 
but nothing's good going to come out of that situation. Um, as opposed to doing the work and building the strength and the self-confidence to say, I can be honest. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. I think ultimately being vulnerability is a function of, of being vulnerable rather is a function of being honest and being honest with the self. Right. Yeah. And yeah. It, that's, that's one of those things um, that an, an experience that I've had multiple times is how totally vulnerable it feels and how absolutely powerful it feels at the same time to be in an ice bath. Right. Yeah. yeah or to be, absolutely. Or, or to be on top of the mountain that we were on in Colorado and knowing, okay, we got up here. We're halfway done. This is the halfway point. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We still have to go down. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and then we still have to go, not just go back down, but then get in the vehicle and drive back to, to the lodge. Right. And yeah. so, <clears throat> So yeah, it's it's one of those things that that uh, you you said this earlier too that like our human nature wants to separate and and divide and identify the one point. And the fact is it, it that just doesn't exist. That is that is our conscious mind's way of trying to um relate to and in some way understand the overwhelming totality that everything around us is just one thing right and and so being being vulnerable being strong enough to be vulnerable is something that we can do we cannot be vulnerable enough to be strong unless we first embrace our strength right wow, did that make sense I like that i like that there's there has to be a time and, and this is, I think this is where all growth happens, right? Mm -hmm. That, that you, you are in, you're putting yourself outside of your comfort zone. And if, if, if you haven't already shared with your audience, the Dave Whitley circles of comfort zone mm. and uh, you know, the, the, the danger zone and all these things mm -hmm. uh, that was, that was really eye opening. And this is again, one of the, the benefits of knowing Dave for so, so long uh, that really, was just a really clear lesson on how those things worked. But ultimately you have to have, there, there's this combination of humility, right? Uh, and and uh, and willingness to fail, willingness to try. And all of that has to do with honesty. Um, and all of it has to do with, with I, I would, and, and this is one of those things where I would rather just be incredibly honest then, then we, we also lie to ourselves a lot and we don't necessarily lie to ourselves. We bullshit ourselves. We, we deceive ourselves. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and you know, it can, it can, you know, the whole fake it. So you make it, you can, you can occasionally get by with that. You got to remember to make it at some point though. That's the thing you have to do the growth or you're just faking it. And then eventually you're going to, you're never actually going to see the growth. And, and then, you know, at that point, I, and that's and that's where I think I think this is where the concept of masculinity is it's been skewed right mm -hmm. because there's this hollow shell of what a man is and it's these attributes that you know it's it's so funny the stereotypical 
I, if you ask most people what happens when you get more testosterone, right? The, the, the male hormone mm-hmm. it's that you get grumpy and horny, right? Mm-hmm. And the reality is research shows that's not really the truth. Uh, yes, higher levels of testosterone uh, can help to improve your libido, but they've shown that whatever your personality already was, it's just going to be more of that. And, right. And it, it, but, but somehow the more man juice you have, right? The more man uh, hormone you have. Why do we always think it's, you're just going to be a, a terror. You're going to be an asshole to everybody. And it's, it's sad because there's a lot of hollow shell understandings of a very complex thing. I think to that point there, there is this stereotype that exists in our mind and all stereotypes are rooted in truth at some point, right? That, that a masculine man um, is there's, there's the, I'm having so many thoughts in my mind right now and they're all trying to come out of my mouth. Uh-huh, uh-huh. You've, heard me, you've heard, you've heard about me talking about being a, a kid that stuttered before. This is where that comes from. Is That's where all it that comes trying, from. Well, I, you that... know, I'll just, I'll just, as you're formulating, I don't know. I'll just add to the point that again, you made the point that stereotypes often, often root themselves in some kind of fact. If you think about what a, when it comes to toxic masculinity and mm-hmm. when it comes to concepts of what a man is all about, you have a part of our species so so that the prefrontal cortex develops much later for men and we also have incredibly very very strong emotions so Mm -hmm. the the concept you know the stereotype is that women have stronger emotions than, than men do but but the reality is actually men feel things very very strongly and then we don't have the prefrontal cortex until much later on in life, almost 30. So it, usually it's between 25 and 28. Mm-hmm. But, but from, I think for me, I, you know, it was definitely the uh, 28.9, you know, uh, but like you, so what do you see? You see an enormous amount of very ag- aggressive or mm-hmm. whatever you see emotional behavior without a filter oftentimes. Right. And that's, and it's not maleness. It's just part of, Okay. And you start to see, oh, well, men do this and that must be masculinity. Well, no. Okay. So, <laughs> so we have, we have certain things that, okay, younger, uh, younger men are more likely to get into fights, right? They're more likely to have extreme behavior and there are elements of our biology that might lend themselves to that. But, mm-hmm. but that is, that is putting a biology on it that, and then just attributing that to what it is to be masculine. And then, then therefore the rest of your life, no matter if you're, you know, your son's age or our, you know, or my, my dad turned 75, not too long ago, you know, then that's what it is to be masculine. And again, mm-hmm. it's an oversimplification of something that's really mm-hmm. much more complex. Yeah. I, I think like the, the thought I was having earlier. Yeah. Um, I think that it comes down to, there is a, there's a decided difference, I believe, between masculinity and manhood mm-hmm. and i think right. this this blurred line that happens there if if we go back to to looking at at where the stereotypes come from we go back to hunter gatherer days we go back to warrior days sure. sure right um you could have someone who was very physically dominating and very emotionally immature or very emotionally stunted who can come and impose his will over someone else 
and declare, I am not only a man, I am the man. And right. anyone who disagrees with that, I will slaughter you. Mm -hmm. And now I don't have to grow up. Right. And I, I know that's like, yeah. no, I, I hear I'm painting with that. really broad strokes there. And like you said, it is, it is a much more nuanced and complex subject than that. But I think that that sort of permeates the ideas, right. And, and of, of our culture, you know, we, we, uh, this is a bit of a tangent, but I think it's applicable too. We, we've heard, I've heard all my life about eating disorders and it's usually associated with girls, young girls, women, that sort of stuff, um, body dysmorphia, all that sort of stuff. But if you go back and, and, and then of course, like, um, Barbie dolls mm -hmm. creating this unrealistic sense of beauty that was, you know, proportions and all that. And yeah, I can totally see how that plays out. By the way, the toys that I played with when I was a kid were He-Man. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, All and, and that roads. doesn't get talked about, right? I used to live, so Derek Lunsford just won the Mr. Olympia and uh, he was a former student of mine actually. And we lifted weights at the, the uh, university gym together. And he's a really good guy, very good guy. Um, he won, he but, won the, the overall, the big man title, right? That's right. This year, he, which, he which, and, and I, I'm, I'm gonna let you finish your story, but which is interesting yeah. to me that very few people know who has, have won the Olympia for the past few years in that category, but everybody knows, um, C-bomb, right? Because <laughs> the, it's funny. At, yeah. It, in the, in the, what do they call it? The classic physique. Classic thing. physique. Yeah. He's because he looks like Arnold. But he looks great. Yeah. Yeah. But hey, yeah, I follow random sports like mm -hmm. I watch sumo wrestling and bodybuilding and then I don't know who's playing for the Bulls. But anyway, uh, but, you know, there is certainly. We, we oftentimes. We uh, and again, this comes back to territorialism, mm -hmm. oftentimes we uh, will make it feel like okay so it's so bad in one direction and, and we're all doing our best right and we all have certain core needs uh and a lot of these things are based in i want to be uh seen a certain way i want to identify a certain way um there is and, and hey if i want to look a certain way or um and and some of these things are just like well in general um for instance, in general, if you are a big, strong, beefy man, fewer people are going to mess with you. Again, you're strong enough to be vulnerable at that point to some degree, right? right? So there are there's some of these things that are just utility, um, but we tend to we tend to have a lot. We tend to have a hard time seeing past our grievances. I think is is where you're going with that, mm -hmm. and, and I completely agree. Um, and and we often we often will impose those things on each other more than anyone else. The classic concept of a guy going to the gym, I think all guys that have ever started going to the gym, especially if you started young, which I did not, I didn't start until after I was married. Mm -hmm. So I didn't have this concept, but most men go to the gym expecting because I'm lifting weights, I'm going to get a lot of women and they're going to, they're going to talk about how great my physique is and stuff like that. Right. And then yeah. what it turns out to be is just the bros are like, man, man, those, those pecs are getting huge, man. Look at those glutes, dude, those calves, you know, and mm -hmm. it's, it's this funny thing where, or we'll like the classic thing we would always tease Derek Lunsford, uh, because his calves, well, man, those calves are, so, we still do man really look good on the Olympia stage. I mean, we're talking about the guy who 
scored the you know really you know he he's literally is Mr. Olympia. Like, he's Mr. the best Olympia. in the world at what he yeah. does right now. Yeah, exactly. Best physique by the judges and all this stuff. And all those calves, you got to work on. The, I mean, we'll tease each other about that, right? Mm -hmm. And so, oftentimes we have all these grievances, and then we are the ones who are enforcing right. the things. So, so because I I will tell you this, and and ladies, if you're listening, um, us guys, we don't actually talk about a lot of the things that you worry about the most. A lot he of things it. you worry about the he most. He said it. We actually don't talk about them. Um, it's not even a thing where we're and a lot of those things we don't talk about the most. And the funny thing is so many times, I don't know how many times I'm sure men who are listening to this, you're like, why do you even put on makeup? You don't have to, you don't have to put on the makeup. This, you look fine. Right. Well, yeah, yeah, you think so. But so-and-so at the, the ladies at the office and all this stuff. Um, so oftentimes we cannibalize ourselves and we, we, we have all these grievances. It's like, man, you know, the patriarchy is getting me down or, or yeah. man, you know, I've got it so hard as a man. And oftentimes it is our, it is our own, I guess, you know, people who would share those same burdens. And it's this concept of what is it? The panopticon where it's a, it's a prison that everyone watches each other and, and, but you still, and so no one can escape because everyone's watching each other. Mm -hmm. they sell, it's like this self-perpetuating thing where, I, I hear you, man. I still, I want to be like Arnold still, still I'm 43. Yeah. Um, and, and I don't want to take roids, but man, whenever I lift weights, I'm like, yeah, this is what Arnold, this, I'm doing what Arnold did. You know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I think that, that uh, it's an important point that you bring up. I think that, that so often we get caught up in thinking I have to do this because of what they will think and what they will say. And the fact is, they're not even paying attention because they're too busy saying I have to do this because uh, of what they will say. And so yeah. if I'm concerned about what Jesse's going to say and Jesse's concerned about what I'm going to say, and neither one of us are paying attention to what the other one's doing that in the realm of the thing that we're concerned about, it, it's a lot of mental bandwidth gets eaten up there. Right. And it's this societal thing. And when we, when we bring that back around to the idea of being vulnerable, like, Oh, if I'm too vulnerable, Jesse's going to think I'm a sissy. Right. Yep. That's it. Jesse's and and fact is, if I'm if I'm doing something that's uncomfortable and vulnerable like that, Jesse most likely will be sitting back there going, Shh, "Glad that's not me," <laughs> you know. And this is where this is where uh, you know I think it's the it's it's so commendable when you when you really do the work, um, you know, and and you can you can be vulnerable. That means just means you can be honest, mm -hmm. right? And so oftentimes people say, well, I can't be honest until I'm rich enough or until I'm strong enough or until I have this, or it's always a later on type of a thing, which is basically, and a lot of it has to do with the fact that we have internal drives that, that will sense we will, it, it, it will change the way we behave unless we really consciously are aware of it. Uh, it'll change the way we behave because our species is a social species mm -hmm. to be ostracized from the group is not only death, but it's a painful death. It's the worst mm -hmm. kind of death, right? So for our, our hunter gatherer, you know, ancestors for the longest, you know, amount of human history, that was, I mean, to be ostracized is, is the worst. Right. And so, and so we're, we're this interesting combination of, uh, a species that is very just uh, t very territorial, and at the same time, we 
we have a hard time being honest with each other because, and, and this is vulnerable, right? We have a hard time being vulnerable with each other because we don't want to be ostracized. And right. this is why men have a hard time sharing their emotions, uh, but also why women have a hard time sharing their emotions as well. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, one of the things that's been helpful for me mm -hmm. in walking this path and figuring this out myself is the breath work and meditation that I do. It's yeah. the cold exposure stuff that I do. Right. Um, because that is, yes, we're social creatures. Um, but breathing, meditating, putting yourself in the cold. Yeah. That's an individual experience and, and it cannot be done any other way. Even if you're in a group of people at a workshop, like we've done so many times before, mm -hmm. and it's someone they've never gotten in the ice bath before. And it's their first time. And they got the entire group there supporting them. Um, there's a, a strength slash vulnerability that when that first foot goes into the ice tub, what am I going to do? How am I going to survive this? Right. And it, it, all of everything around gets shut out and it becomes this, this expression of, it's just me. It's me. Yeah. And, um, that is being strong enough to be, to be vulnerable in a lot of ways, I think. So exactly what that is. So there's societal misconceptions about vulnerability. And I believe as we've talked about that affects men's health. Like if, if I don't want Jesse to yeah. think I'm a sissy because I won't get in the ice bath, you know, mm -hmm. right. Um, how in, in your experience and in your teaching and, and working with clients and stuff, how can things like breath work meditation to a lesser degree ice bath but also ice baths i know that that a lot of the work that, that you're doing now has to do with integrating conscious and subconscious and and right. unifying integrating um how can meditation and i'll lump all of that under the under the category of meditation right yeah. how can practices like that empower men to redefine masculinity on your own terms i think i think one of the things that that I'm learning and that it's one of those things I I'm continuing to learn, I should say. And it's taken many years, lots of clients, lots of uh, experimentation research on my own to understand that much of our behaviors are based off of patterns that we've established that for better or worse, uh, a part of us. So our unconscious self, so that, that's your subconscious, but it's also all of the other things you don't have conscious access to. So, I mean, we're talking about more than just the the thoughts that are just just below conscious. So I'm, I want to interrupt you just so that I'm clear. Yeah. You're making a distinction between what we would call subconscious and unconscious here, right? So subconscious would be part of the unconscious. Like okay, it's, got it. It's so, uh, and, and this is, and it gets confusing because people have defined this different ways over over history, right? So, um. But basically, I'm just making the distinction. You have conscious access. You have unconscious access. Now, you have to understand that the unconscious. So this is all of your all of your processes, all of your thought processes, all of the 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 tendencies, the patterns, the beliefs that you have, all of those things about yourself, about the world around you, about how to react, uh, and and both psychologically and physiologically. They're based off of all the experiences that you've had, all of the input that you've had, all of the beliefs that you have, and that is influenced by society that's influenced by your experiences your the dad that was said be quiet and shut up all of these things 
and they're going to have a major impact on you the rest of the, your life. And and hopefully you had a great dad and you you can you can model things. But but no human is perfect. Correct. And and society constantly changes. And so I know that I had a lot of misconceptions as to what my masculinity was all about. And I had a lot of misconceptions as to how to express that. And so it, it's important to say, well, we can consciously think about these things and then we have to start to put them into practice. Now, when you start to make changes and the, to, to, to processes that your unconscious believes are part of your identity, your territory, and your survival strategy, it's going to fight you. It's going it, to fight you it, every it, bit of a, the way. A change in identity is literally a threat to existence, right? It is. And, or it's perceived that way, I mean. It's, it is. It's, it is a threat to uh, – and, and we have what is – some people refer to like a – a neurological or an unconscious or a there's a few different ways people describe it but an immune system for it and mm. so a threat to your identity starts to actually there's parts of your brain that will start to shut down in an effort to protect you from having to think these new thoughts mm. we don't want those things unconsciously but in order to improve in order to to change and make a better life for ourselves and to step into positive aspects of who we are as men we have to think okay this is this is something I need to do. So understanding how that process manifests itself is important. So what I do is I, I, I teach people to learn the, what I call the language of breath, but it's it's not just breathing techniques. It's learning the the unconscious signals that you're going to experience and and we don't generally, identify we don't understand what they are so for instance a lot of times i'll use this ex this this example uh if you drink coffee in the morning you understand where the energy is coming from and you might look forward to it you, you're like hey I, I like this this is caffeine and it's great but if you experience that energy boost and it and you had no idea where it's coming from then it kind of freaks you out that's literally the stress response right yeah that's literally what we're most people experience like oh my god something's wrong with me oh my god it's terrible so once you start to understand, this is what you are. I I, I never yeah. thought about that before. That like if if I was just sitting around one morning and then all of a right. sudden felt the same as I did after I drank coffee, it would be a crazy feeling. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's like getting you know. I mean, it's a much lower on the scale, but you know the classic. Uh, someone put, uh, you know, spike the punch or put LSD mm -hmm. in your whatever, and it's like, well, it's way down there on the scale, but still, it it freaks us out, and that's literally what happens. You experience energy that you don't know why it's there. So it's there because your unconscious is trying to move you towards some kind of action. And it's trying mm -hmm. to give you the energy that it thinks you need to take that action because that is the human organism. That is, that is what we are completely built for is taking action. That's for the vast majority of human history. That's how all problems were solved. You ran away, you ran toward it, you rested, you, you know, did things. So what happened, what the way we reclaim our masculinity and the way we become better men is first of all, understanding what we are. And that is saying, okay, my, I am a human being that has, that has unconscious processes that are trying to help me to survive and thrive. These processes are going, I'm going to have certain sensations and physiological changes that correspond with what my unconscious believes is the situation. And it might be for instance, uh, you know, if you get, 
this is the classic thing. You know, we all know the guy that uh, no matter what he does, he gets with the woman who's going to cheat with him, cheat on him, right? Or you know, we 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 know these things. Or or it's the guy that's incredibly nice guy. He's he's really a good person, mm-hmm. but can't hold down a job because of behaviors, right? Mm-hmm. And so we have to understand. We have to make a change in these behaviors. And in order to do that, we have to become vulnerable enough to make change and we have to feel safe. And the only way we're going to feel safe in instances, or at least the, one of the most most accessible ways to feel safe in instances where we normally would feel unsafe is to learn the language of breathing. So I'm going to speak safety into my nervous system which is going to be a message of safety into this these unconscious processes that are trying to inform me no you need to run you need to punch that guy you need to make an inappropriate you need to cheat on your wife right all these things are the worst aspects of being a man but they are there's a reason why those impulses exist and that, that means a part of you is trying to advance you and uh, it's misinformed, right? It's it's mm-hmm. always trying to help you. It's always trying to, to to put you in the best possible situation, but it's not always right. And so oftentimes we'll get the advice, listen to your heart, listen to your gut. Those are both ways of ex- expressing, listen to your unconscious. And the it's great whenever you've got enormous amount of positive uh, experiences, you, were, you, you had good role models and things like that. And- in that case, all of the patterns that your unconscious sees, it will say, well, the, the appropriate thing to do here is to tell the truth, or the appropriate thing to do here is to not cheat on my spouse or to not punch this person who's insulted me. Mm-hmm. But we don't always have all those things. And we, we have to say, hey, listen, it's not my fault that I was born into this kind of situation or have this kind of experiences or culture has made me feel this way about how I should respond in this kind of instance. Like in, in our lifetimes, I mean, uh, you know, a sexual relationship has gone from something that's the sacred bond between a man and a woman or, or just to, or just to consenting like a handshake, right? It's just, I'm gonna go bang as many women as possible, you know, and all these things where it's just like, okay, uh, that's going to cause you an enormous amount of psychological harm in the long run. You don't know that. And and you've been encouraged by society and maybe, maybe your friends and maybe even your family to do that, those things. But mm-hmm. in the long run, you're not really going to have much happiness in that. And, and, and so what we do with breath work is we learn to help ourselves feel safe enough to make changes in our life. And that is, that is, done in multiple forms of, of breath work, hyperventilative styles of breath work, uh, but also just understanding, I feel this way. My physiology has changed. Maybe you, it's something as simple as you've got a heart rate monitor and you're like, okay, I know that I'm feeling the stress response right now. How can I speak to my unconscious and say, okay, we're safe. We're safe. Keep going. I'm going to make these changes in my life and do the right things. So it's, it's not as simple as you do a breathing technique and you're cured. It's a matter of repetition and teaching yourself this new way of living, but saying all the way, hey, we're fine. We're okay. We're okay. Because we're more than just white. We, we, when we just white knuckle it, you know, it just takes one little thing 
added and then now it's too much for my uh my willpower to to, right. to stand and now i'm going to punch and now i'm going to cheat on my wife and now i'm going to you know leave my kids and all these things that are these negative aspects that that we i would encourage all men listening to avoid <laughs> you know so so ultimately it comes down to learning how to interact with yourself better form a better inner relationship with yourself so that you can form a better relationship with the world around you and with the people you want in your life and so how does this this mindfulness and for lack of a better term this this awareness that you develop yeah through your approach to breath work how does that obviously from what you're describing we're talking about making positive changes in our mental health Yep. Um, and mental health, that that's a very broad stroke thing, right? Yes, it is. And um, a lot of people say that, you know, those big words. Yeah. And, and I think that there's some validity to the idea that um, men's mental health has been very much overlooked up until recently. Yep. Um, and I, I, I cannot not see the correlation between a three-year-old boy being told, stop crying you're acting like a little girl or whatever, suppressing emotions that way. And then, you know, 40 years later, he's depressed. He's in the bottle. He's addicted to porn, video games, whatever. He's cheating on his wife because he wasn't given that ability to learn how to express those mental aspects of himself in a healthy way. So <clears throat> what role does this meditation and mindfulness and, and learning these things as an adult now affect your approach to being a dad? One is that I want to make sure that I am being the role model. As you said earlier, you, you know, it's really important that I show that the most masculine thing you can do is master your emotional state, or at least I, I, I want my son to understand that he who loses his temper first loses uh, and that we want to try to remain as positive and as calm and not as reactive uh, as possible. So you again, it, it has more to do with me being the role model that I want to be for my son than it has to do with me teaching him breathing techniques or, mm -hmm. or anything like that. Obviously, my son is probably, he's the only kid that'll say, hey, that guy was breathing through his mouth, dad. Isn't that weird? And I'm like, yes, I know, son. I know, son. I'm all, you know, so I, I tr you know, try to give him some basic breathing tips. But it has more to do with the fact that I know after 43 years, I know, or I think I know the kind of example that I want to give to him. And I know how I want to give him measured and consistent feedback on his behavior as well. And I don't want to make it so that he doesn't have that safety to be vulnerable because when a parent is consistent, we have to understand safety is generally predictability, right? If I can right. predict how my parents are going to behave, I know I'm safe with them. And if I give him that, then I give him the, the ability to be honest with me. I give myself the ability to be honest with him. And that's how we grow together as father and son. It's interesting. You say that, that, that triggered a thought in my mind. I was speaking with a friend um, who came from a, um, pretty abusive and, and neglected childhood. Um, yeah. His mom was, uh, I think, bipolar and schizophrenic. And this was Ouch. this was a long time ago. So she was 
she was not diagnosed nor treated well. Yeah. Not like mistreated, but like she did not get good treatment for her mental illness sure, at the time. Sure. And he was the he was the kid in that environment. Yeah. And and you know, suffered and lived through all manner of things that would be associated with that. And recently I was talking to him and he, for whatever reason, I don't remember the circumstances and not really relevant either, went back and his mom's gone now, but he went back and revisited the home that he lived in for a period of time with her. And as he was walking through, like something tripped in him and he like out of the corner of his eye, his, his brain turned uh, something into his mom asleep on the bed. And he said that, that he felt himself go into what he called ninja mode. He started yeah. walking silently and he walked four or five steps and was like hyper aware of his, of his situation. And he's like, it was the weirdest thing. It was like, I knew that if I woke her up, it would be bad and mm -hmm. she's not there. Yeah. And and so that's something that he's carried through. And so you say predictability is safety. So yes, there's there's the predictability of of I'm doing everything I can to take care of my son and make his his life safe and and you know a, a place for him to grow and do well. But there's an inherent safety that has to be learned when you're in a dangerous situation like that as a kid and you you know you're you know five six years old and you don't have the tools to deal with it. You learn to create your own safety by by doing the sort of thing that he did, you learn skills that a child should not have to know to keep themselves safe and protected from the person who should be there ideally to, to provide and protect. So, um, it was just, a, you, you triggered yeah. that thought on me, right? Yeah. The, the, con the, this is, this is such a hard thing for us to, to grapple with, uh, when you're, when you're as a human being, uh, because you will have children who grow up in that environment who or or worse who will um be put into foster care and they they don't want to be put into foster care they want to go back right and sometimes we, we call it the devil you know right right it's this strange thing where uh even sadly enough the predictability that is what we would consider a negative kind of predictability can be strangely enough a a signal of safety in the strangest way. It's, it's hard for us to, to wrap our minds around it because it seems so, so twisted and it is, but this comes, you know, this is, um, and, and he, and he probably is not aware of many of the behaviors that he mm -hmm. has still to this day that mm -hmm. are, are predicated on, on that. Life. Mm -hmm. Well, there's, there's something about familiarity that feels safe because I think that that all of us, uh, a lot of us anyway, talk about we're making changes or we're going to do these things and we're going to change, we're going to improve, we're going to grow, we're going to advance or whatever. But that familiarity that fights against that threat, the survival that we were talking about earlier, um, that's that's within our subconscious um, or our unconscious, there's a familiarity that feels safer than the prospect of the unknown of changing right change and so so like all of us who are talking about changing or improving or whatever there's a certain amount of unrest that comes with that 
mm-hmm. a certain amount of of nervousness or fear, whatever, however you want to label it. Like there's a discomfort at the prospect of I'm admitting there's something about myself that that could be better, and I'm going to become this other person, or I'm going to to change this part of my myself, and that the fear of doing that can sometimes not be not be worth giving up the familiarity of of a terrible situation it is it's so hard for us there's a condition called anton syndrome and it's a condition where a person is blind but they don't know they're blind you know we all have these blind spots it's it's probably the most extreme blind spot you can have is to actually be completely blind and and, and you don't realize that you're blind we all have these blind spots and um we have we have all of these things that the the unconscious parts of ourselves will do to try to preserve your safety. And some of them just don't make any sense. Uh, you know, but, but what I've, what you find is that eventually, uh, if a person wants to make a change, it's also very difficult because that, that aspect of that, those unconscious processes will do everything possible to keep that person safe. And, and, that's where you know addictive behaviors. That's where these these limiting beliefs, all these things, they're based in a part of you that loves you very much mm-hmm. and is always trying to help you and is like, "Here you go, buddy. I'm doing my best," and it's keeping you from living the life that you deserve to live. And and it's it's a matter of eventually, sometime we were like, "This is not where I need to be. I need to be some. This is not the direction that I should go." We have these conscious awakening, sometimes we call it, or recognition of this is not the me that I want to be. I'm not really this way, uh, I, or at least I don't want to be this way anymore. And that's when the work starts. Right. That's such a powerful. That's a, such a powerful moment. Um, and of course, sometimes we call it rock bottom moments because you're so vulnerable, right? Right. That's where right. growth starts is is in those moments of vulnerability. Right. So. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think when we're as as fathers, we want to, we want to obviously. There's so much that the job is so complex. Um, it's it's one word that means so many things, and we we can overthink it too. Uh, but I think that is just another way to know you're probably doing okay if you're if you're overthinking it. You're probably doing all right. Yeah. How's the how's the how's the cliche go that if you're wondering if you're a bad parent, you're not. You're probably okay. Yeah, you know. Bad, I, bad, I don't know or, how many times. Bad parents don't sit around wondering if they're bad parents. Exactly. Right. Exactly. I don't know how many times I've I've been like, oh, I'm just a total failure. You know, I, I just, and then, uh, you know, it's it's like I, you got to give yourself some grace, and you have to let yourself learn too. We don't stop growing up until we decide to stop growing up. Mm-hmm. and you know it's it's an important thing so so i love what you do with your clients and and this is something that I, I do with my clients as well is is just saying okay we're gonna grow now mm-hmm. and it's gonna there's gonna be some discomfort involved and that's the only way we grow is getting outside of the comfort zone well and i think that we grow up and then once we've grown up we are then equipped to grow in Ooh, i like that yeah. yeah, I just made that up just now, but yeah, yeah write that <laughs> right. one down. Dave. Yeah, uh, well, it's recorded, so that's <laughs> yeah, good. There you go. <laughs> um, we've talked about some heavy stuff, and I know you got to go here in a minute. So here's where we're going to go into lightning round, rapid fire yeah. questions for Jesse. Let's hear it. Okay, Let's hear it. 
Um, first thing that comes to mind, say it, and we'll just go from there, and then we'll wrap up. Okay. Oh, cool. All and right. then, and when we get done with that, I'll stop recording. We'll and we'll talk for a second, and then go. Okay. Sounds All right. Good. What's a useless talent that you have? Uh, I am. Oh boy, uh, a useless talent. I. What is a useless talent I have? I have a lot of them, I'm sure. Um, yeah, I, 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 I don't know. I don't, you've stumped me. You've stumped me. A useless talent. You know what a useless talent is? I know all 13 comma rules. Uh, you know, uh, that, <laughs> I didn't even know that was a thing, but yeah, yeah, that's pretty. I mean, it's now, now, now I've got to go Google something, right? Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> Um, what is a personal mantra or belief or idea that you want to pass on to your son? That you are worth working on. Nobody's perfect. You're not perfect just the way you are. That you are absolutely worth working on. Favorite holiday? Christmas. Oh, well, good timing, right? Coming right up. Yeah. Um, something funny or heartwarming related to your kid that's that's happened. Yeah. So, so the day I met my kid, so I adopted my son, uh, my wife and I did, and the, and he got out of the car and gave me a hug. First thing. I'm not crying. You're crying. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, um, most valuable piece of advice you've received as a father. That, that, you, that if you're overthinking it, you're probably doing just fine. I've received that multiple times from my own father and from other people that I, I respect. Um, David Lee Roth or Sammy Hagar? I'm a, I'm, I'm a, a Van uh, Halen, not Van Hagar uh, kind of guy. So, so. Okay. Roth <laughs> era, got it. I, I know, I know that I'm speaking to a hardcore fan, so I hope that's the right answer. Oh, I'm a, <laughs> I, I'm an Eddie fan, right? Okay. All right. So. Then then it's just, it's just a Van Halen fan all the yeah. way through. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's two different bands. I mean, right. What was it right now was a fantastic hit. And fantastic. that was, that was, uh, that was Hagar, right? Yeah. So, yeah. yeah okay. I, I could, I could handle either one. So. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, if you could only eat one thing for the rest of your life, what would it be? Pizza, man. I I'm just sausage pizza, something simple. Give me some cheese dip maybe for the crust. Mm -hmm. Um, <laughs> having said that, what's like the most disgusting food on the planet that you never want to eat? Yeah, I, I'm not a big uh, tomato guy. I mm. just I'll eat the paste and and the ketchup, but just not tomatoes. Mm. And then the last one: What is a cherished family tradition that you hope to either pass on that you've inherited or that you've created that that goes that's going into the mix? My family, every uh, get together we have, we get together and we play old timey like gospel and bluegrass songs together. Like mm. we just kind of get around, and sing together, and stuff like that. And I love that. And I hope that it never dies. Very cool. Well, thanks again for being on the show with me. Um, where can people find you? If you go to jessiecoomer.com, so it's J-E-S-S-E-C-O-O-M-E-R.com, you can find out all about me there. I'm on Instagram at jessiecoomerbreath. And you can also find out more about my book if you just Google language of breath and a whole bunch of things are going to pop up. I also do a breathworker training school called the Language of Breath Breathworker Training School. And you can find out about that at languageofbreathcollective.com or just Google it. It's up there. Cool. Thanks so much for being on. And um, that's it for today.